0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in for another episode of One Dream by the Grass Factor. I know last time we kind of got into the hot and heavy, we were yelling, I was screaming, I was all angry and stuff. Not today. I don't know, we might get passionate about something. We'll see how it plays out. I tell you what, I tell you what, I am glad to be recording this episode today because we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like moving from step one to step two to step three to step four, right? So we've made the decision to rebrand and everything that entails. So we'll talk a little bit about what all that entails, uh, what our product names actually stand for, And what it's like moving into the world of distribution and navigating that sphere. Because let me tell you, it ain't easy. All right, all right, we'll go ahead and get this kicked off. We will get it kicked off because... I saw it was just real difficult. I don't know. It was I guess it was it it wasn't overly difficult. It was just, you know. Sometimes it just creeps up in you and you gotta let it all out. And I think that's a lot of what it was. Just a bunch of frustration all coming out at one time. So when it comes to rebranding, you know, if you've seen it before, you know, we did we started with Carbon X, right? And then we went to Carbon X Pro. Carbon X Pro was our internal signifier when we had solved the chemistry issues. Carbon X X Pro was the rebrand when we went from trying to portray ourselves as a a couple of rookie uh, fertilizer manufacturers into people that have actually figured out how to handle um, quite a diverse range of agglomeration, so... Not to say that we feel like we're experts at this time, but I would say that we feel like we at least have together a team of experts now where we can solve this. Now, the company has become bigger than any one individual or any two individuals, but now... Where, where, where? Before, you know, really, it was it was John and I and Jim that were that were sustaining things. But now, now it's bigger than that. There's more moving parts. There's more key players. There's more uh, complexity. And so, Carbon X Pro for us was that was that signifier was that, that name change where, um, you know, we were, we were taking everything to the next level. And also, it was us rebranding as being an independent, uh, isolated—is maybe not the right word—but free. We felt free, you know. We we did not want to be associated really with any other thing other than in the industry, other than what we had accomplished. You know, when it when it when it started out, there was. There was you, and and I say this very gingerly. There's there's a lot of noise in the industry, and there's there's a lot of people that want to help. There's a lot of people that want to do a lot of things, and you have to be careful navigating all that because because you'll find yourself in a position where it may not be mutually beneficial. And so, when you come into those situations, you have to. You have to figure out a way to, to navigate it. Navigate it gingerly, and that's, you know, part of where we felt like we were, and uh, we were kind of tired of tiptoeing around, and we said, you know what, let's just be our own company and go out there and, and get it done the way we want to get it done and stop worrying about all the, all the damn noise. So that's what Carmen XX Pro was. And we made this decision earlier in the year. Kind of did a soft launch of it. Really, 2020 is going to be the hard launch of it. But so much of what we're trying to do now and getting away from what we were before is, is now you know, those, those little bits and pieces that make a company, a company, right? So when, for instance, somebody walks into a distributor, well, first off, I would say, let's start there. It's actually getting your product into distribution, which is incredibly difficult. It is not as easy as one would think, especially with a specialty product with liquids. It's not as difficult. Um, with with granular, it is because the blended fertilizer market dominates the market. You can blend a bag of fertilizer for, you know, pretty low cost because you're just taking a bunch of commoditized materials and then putting them together in a bag. And, you know, you mark it up, whatever, 20%, and then it's off to the races. So, you know, commodity plus 20% premium, right? Um, when you homogenize fertilizer, there's a lot more fixed costs that go into it. Um, you know, pretty significant uh, uh, electrical costs, uh, operational costs, uh, you know, plant, plant managers. It's, it's not a process that can be, you know, fully, oper- uh, fully automated. So, for instance, a lot of blending facilities now, like uh, some of the, the newer technologies, like by Yargis, Yargis Designs, A system that is, for the most part, very automated. Um, In fact, if you put an automated bagging system on it, you could have one person basically run that entire operation. Um, When it comes to homogenizing material, there's so many individual steps to the manufacturing process, right? So depending on your recipe, you know, first in how how you want to take raw materials because that's going to influence the overall final cost of your product, You know, first steps first, uh, particle size, uh, separation or reduction or whatever the case may be. Typically, if it's with agglomeration, you're going to have to go through particle size reduction. How do you take your material size down? You know, do you use a shredder? Do you use a grinder? Um, Do you use a a mill of some sort? Do you use a ball mill? Is it a hammer mill? What What kind of mill do you use? And all of those add costs because not only do you have to do it for one ingredient, say you have seven ingredients, then you have to do it for seven ingredients. And then with those seven ingredients, you then have to take it from your reduced particle size and then bring it back up into a large particle size, making sure you have uniformity throughout the entirety of the prill with all the ingredients in all the prills. So there has to be checks and balance systems along the way to make sure you're hitting each of those specs as you go. Some of that's done with weight. Some of it's done with volume. So the complexity of just taking seven things, blending it, and putting it into a bag isn't that complex. Whereas when you take something that has seven ingredients, you have to bring it down to, you know, we'll say, you know, a thousand mesh or five hundred mesh. You know, down to very, very, very tight you know, you're dealing with powders at that point, then blending your powders and then agglomerating your powders. That gets tough and expensive, and then having to sell the value of that product to a distributor that is holding on to a bag of fertilizer, a bag of thirteen zero zero that get, that gets sold for $11.50 a bag. And so you have to come in and say, okay, listen, you should pull this out of your product line and replace it with that. Pull X, replace with Y. It costs double, but you have to use half as much. And then that becomes a tough sell. And then on top of that, and say, okay, what do you compare it to? Well, there's not really anything I can compare it to. There's nobody that's homogenizing biochar with uh, MPK to alter the release characteristics. What do you mean nobody's doing it? Nobody's doing it. Then why are you doing it? Well, because we're chasing a dream. Okay, what's your dream? How does it benefit me? How do I make money doing it? And how does it benefit my customers? Well, it benefits you because it's the only sustainable way to slowly release conventional inputs. And it benefits your customer base because it allows them to deliver not just NP and K, but a multitude of components, MPK, soil organic carbon, organic material, and a biostimulant, all in a single granular package. And you make money by doing it, by being able to offer a product that allows your customer to offer more to their customer to generate the results they need to be able to say, my lawns look better than my competitor's lawns. And it doesn't necessarily sound like a hard sell, but that actually is a hard sell because the question then comes back, how many customers do I have that are that interested? Well, in reality, there's probably more than they would would consider, but a lot of times, you, a business owner may find themselves in a position where they have to say, I need an $11.50 bag of fertilizer because... Cash flow's tight. I haven't been paid for the last application I was out on a client's lawn. So you can see where you can get into the cycle of distribution there where it becomes difficult. And it's a series of of objections and you have to find a way to overcome those and that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. With liquids, you know, you can, uh, when I say it's easier to get into distribution, it could be de- easier to get into distribution because you have a larger margin to play with. A lot of liquids, a lot of biostimulants, there is no commoditized pricing structure. Therefore, um, uh, if it's a liquid fertilizer like UAN, urea ammonium nitrate, yeah, that's commoditized. There's a set price you're not going to be able to go in and sell it for $40 a gallon when the commodity price is $4 a gallon. But when you're dealing with a biostimulant where you may be acquiring it for $120 a gallon and then you put it into distribution at $190 a gallon, well, that's a pretty significant markup there for whoever it is that's selling it. They get encouraged by by that pricing. You don't have that pricing flexibility with the dry fertilizer. Therefore, it's more difficult to put into distribution. And so navigating this, we've had to look at, you know, who is it that we want to partner with? You know, because everybody would love to be able to run and run to the, the big players like, uh, you know, site one or something. Like, site one, look what I got, look what I got. Oh, are you going to feature it in your stores? I mean, Even if they say yes, how do you actually get it into each individual store? Because there's, they have thousands of SKUs they, they carry. And so in order for them to make price sense in, in their regard, you know, to get it into their store, it may be a very difficult thing to do. Because you've got freight complexities, you know you've only got one pallet that needs to be sold over here, but you got ten in a neighboring community. So then you got to pay for freight to there and then freight to there. Or do you just go ahead and send a truck and then they sit on inventory for a long time because the only person that wants to use it only wants a pallet? I mean, there's a lot of complexity that goes in into to that. Just the logistics part that. Um, Uh, you know, really could ultimately just set yourself up for failure because you may think everything is great and fine because you've got this deal with this really big distributor and everything's going to be awesome. But here's the thing, too. If the people that work there at the individual location of one has no idea they carry that SKU, how do you expect to move it? Well, then you think to yourself, oh, well, then I'll just go from uh, location to location and I'll tell them about my product. Yeah, they might be doing that. But again, we're talking about thousands of SKUs. You have to leave a lasting impression or or as a company, you have to generate the demand for your product so that way people walk into a distributor and demand your product by name. And how do you do that? Well, you have to do that through branding. You have to do that through time and experience and allowing people to use your product and see have what they say about it, see what the positives are, see what the negatives are, and then structure your product to fit each one of the positives they have and then correct each one of the negatives they had to make them want to come back to your product and to make them want to find an easier way to obtain your product to encourage them to walk into their turf distributor and ask for your product by name. And do so with such adamancy that that supplier then calls you to say, hey, I've got a customer that wants to use your product. Can I carry it? You get much further along that way than you do any other way. But again, you know, we're a startup. We don't have years of experience. We don't have years of direct sales. We don't have years of customers. So it's just another objection in the startup hurdle that you have to cross. You can't be scared to be told no, because that's kind of the name of the game. And then, you know, I probably the hard part for me is that I don't know when to keep my mouth shut. And so... You run into situations where I'm – not, I'm not even going to go down that road. <laughs> I'm not going to go down that road. But there are, there are situations you run into where I don't know when to keep my mouth shut, and then it makes it difficult to sit down and have conversations with some of these people. So anyway, when we're, when we're looking at our brand and we're looking at who we are and kind of where we are – and the struggle we've been through, and the type of funding we have, and the type of budgets we have, then it kind of makes sense of the types of people we want to work with. We want to work with the independent distributors. We want to work with the, the distributors that may not have the big, huge, national brand behind them. Would we? Yeah, absolutely. But chances are, it's not our brand that's going to do anything for them. So, you know, we have to approach that differently. And one of the things we, we like to do as a company is, you know, we've got this plant and we've got this technology that allows us to agglomerate fertilizer. What we like to do is keep that running. Keeping that equipment running is what keeps our doors open, our lights on. That's what keeps the bills paid. That's what keeps us paid. That's what allows us to continue to play in this world, in this, in this, in this zone, in this industry. And so that may be something where we go to a company, that big national company that does have an established brand and say, listen, we have this capability. We have this, these throughput capabilities. You don't, maybe you don't want to carry our brand. Maybe that's not what you're after. Maybe you're after furthering your own brand. And we can support that with a piece of technology and a a, a fertilizer product to get you the results that would do nothing but bring positive attention to your brand. Now we may have overcome that objection of having just another skew into this isn't just another skew. This is a big national brand skew. This is our brand. And this is a product that has a piece of sustainability attached to it. This is a product that participates in the circular economy. This is our brand, our company now participating in the circular economy. And that may be way more enticing to a large company than, oh, do you want to carry Carbon X? What's Carbon X? I've never heard of Carbon X. Well, you've got three customers that use it. Yeah, I know, but I've got three million customers. (laughs) You know, so. And how, and, and so, you know, what we have to do then at that point from a manufacturing perspective is we have to show those manufacturers what our capabilities are. And I mentioned before about feasibility studies, and this is what we really like to do is on the research and development part is talk to this company and say, you know, listen, what is it you're looking for in a product? Okay. What are your major turf types? Which, which regions do you want to target? You know, we manufacture kind of in the, in, in the, uh, the Southeast, do you want to target the southeast or do you want to move into the Midwest? Because we, you know, these are our freight lanes that are, that are most uh, economical. Okay, we're going to target the Midwest. Okay, then we've got a pretty good idea of what soil structures look like. We've got a pretty good idea of the growing season, rain patterns. Let's build a product or a series of products that will fit those target markets. And so we come up with a formula. And then we manufacture that formula. And then we put it through a series of tests, screen size, crush strength, all the fun stuff. And we send it to them. Okay, what do you think? Okay, we like this, we don't like this. Let's go back to the drawing board. We go back to the drawing board. We remanufacture it, making these subtle changes. We send it off for analysis. We do our in-house testing. Crush strength, rate of attrition, all those fancy-sounding buzzwords, and then we send that off, and hopefully, then we get the approval so that we can work with with the big companies on on projects like that. That's that's that gap we hope to fill. You know, I was actually talking to someone earlier today. I was talking to Sean about microplastics and in fertilizer, and already in Europe, they're putting restrictions on polymer-coated and vinyl-coated fertilizers because of that coating resisting uh, or lacking uh, the ability to biodegrade once in the soil. And so it gets carried down to waterways, and so you, you find it. And typically how those first begin to release is through photodegradation. So the exposure to sunlight will cause imperfections in the polymer coatings, which in turn allow uh, for the, the diffusion uh, through solubility of the the urea or whatever's contained in that capsule to move out of the capsule. The dissolved material can move from inside to outside through those imperfections that come through uh, photodegradation. Well, we want to fill that void where more and more Light comes on microplastics and what that can uh, ha- have an effect on marine quality and, and, uh, and water quality, marine life and water quality. We want to fill that void because we know we can alter the release characteristics of high nitrogen. We know we can, uh, we can, we can alter release characteristics of, of not just nitrogen, but also phosphorus and potassium, too. And we don't have to do that with a polymer coating. And so, you know, we don't mind working with those large companies in that vein. Because not everybody will want to switch to that. Yeah, they may be passing regulations and they may be banning things like that in Europe. So be it. Uh, They're not doing that in the United States. So, uh, you know, people aren't going to change unless they they have to. And just because of, of cost. But really, where we have found our most solid partners and where we, we have had the most fun, at least with, with our brand, is finding these more local, uh, regionalized-type distributors that have you know, good, solid uh, local reputations, reputations in the community for being a quality supplier. When we think about Absolute Kubota, we think about uh, Green Velvet Side Farm. I mean, perfect examples of that. Phenomenal reputations in their area. Yes, we want to partner with them. Does that mean we don't want to partner with large companies? No, we don't. We just don't think our brand is going to be enticing to a large company like that. So what we would rather do is manufacture a product that is going to work well for that national company that's going to offer their brand uh, something, a product that's successful. And it doesn't have to be locked into what we manufacture uh, currently as part of our catalog. We can make changes. In fact, a lot of that we've even attempted to do with some of the smaller uh, local independent distributors we work with. But a lot of times they 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 don't want to go that route because we do have a brand already sometimes it may be easier for them to just carry our brand than it is to try and build their own brand around our product and of course then you know volume comes into play too when you're doing a customized project like that because you know, there are certain uh, settings, and uh, you know, when, when you're agglomerating material like that, you don't just flip a switch and everything starts happening. There's just as much art to it as there is science when it comes to rolling fertilizer prills, so you have to run longer periods of time to develop a, a certain level of throughput or consistency in your final product. It's not like when you blend a ton of fertilizer, you can just add the ingredients to equal a total of 2,000 pounds, rotate them in a cement mixer, and then you've got a ton of blended fertilizer. When you homogenize it, you can't just add that into a machine and then it spits it out on the other end. You have to develop a rhythm. Everything has to be feeding at certain rates. Certain weights have to be falling at certain periods, at certain time intervals. It has to feed very specific amounts of material into the agglomeration equipment at one time. Any deviation from it is going to affect the yield you get on the back end. I didn't know all this when we started. We learned all this as we went. But now we know, and so... When it comes to someone who is looking for that custom product, you know, we can say to them, we can't just make one ton of fertilizer. You know, we're going to have to make, you know, 15, 16, 17, 8, 6, 8, 10 tons of fertilizer, whatever, whatever, depending on the density of the product is going to alter how long we need to run. So now that we're in this situation where you know, that's exactly you know, what we're doing, it's, it's, making, it's knocking on the doors, it's making the phone calls to see who would be interested in carrying our product. And then when we're told no to our product, you know, the question then becomes, would, be in, would you be interested in having a product like ours custom manufactured under your brand? we have access to this number of raw materials. And we've had a lot of raw materials come through the door. And especially, you know, coming, with, uh, coming to Dick too, there's so many additional materials that we can work with. Like, we can work with resins and minerals, humates, Manures, carbon, carbon black, biochar, other organic inputs, coffee. You Think about the fertilizers. Ammonium sulfate, potassium chloride, potassium sulfate, sulpemag, composts, kelps, bacterias, gypsum. Methylene ureas, all your sulfated micronutrients, all your EDTA chelated micronutrients, lime, sulfur, triple superphosphate, kitty litter. You name it, we at least now have a baseline to be able to say, we know this works, this doesn't work. And so while we may be in the fertilizer industry, if there's anything that's done at this point, it's given us the opportunity and the encouragement to expand our thinking. And expand our thinking of taking things that may be coming from outside the industry and bringing them into the industry as long as it fits our key model of innovation and results. There's a lot of raw materials we're working with right now that are not being used in fertilizer. And one of the things we're doing is figuring out the way to bring that into fertilizer because we have seen the types of results it's generated. And as we expand this, We can take this to the distributors and say, this is a list of the raw materials we work with. Yes, we like working with biochar. Yes, we like working with the material that we run through our co-composting process. But you're involved in strip mine land. Okay. We've had success with this product, with these raw materials. Because of X, Y, and Z. And that's when now, especially right now, that you know we've had all winter of manufacturing a lot of these customized products. It's kind of taken the fun to a whole new level because you know, when we think about that perpetual state of learning, that's exactly where we are now. Every day we're no longer having to focusing uh, no longer having to focus on the failures of the plant but focus on the research focus on the development and take so much of the chaos out of the equation Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you joined us. I brought it down a couple of notches, but I just hope you're able to see what actually goes on on the inside of our day today. It's not just coming to work and rolling some fertilizer and stacking bags. I know what it takes to be a king Be the song everybody wanna sing And be the chosen one Everybody, thank you so much. Ain't nothing gonna stop this For tuning in today. They gonna stop this fire. I was born to be Making history Something All right, everybody. Thank you so much. I hope you all have a great one. Have a very happy new year. and We will holler at you. Oh, I'm gonna man, I stop still this still fire on.